it's not going to get any easier on these workers in the immediate future. It's only going to get more difficult unless we recognize the strain that they're under. We've tried for many years to uh, make changes for the betterment in long-term care. And to me, it seems like it's fallen on deaf ears. This is Pandemic at Work, an SGU podcast. My name is Amy Husiak, and this week we're talking about long-term care, which has been in the news a lot over the past year as we've seen COVID outbreaks rage through care facilities across our country, often with deadly consequences. Long-term care is an umbrella term that means services to support people who are no longer able to live independently in the community. Usually, this is seniors, but also people with disabilities and those with higher care needs. In this episode, we're going to use the term long-term care to talk specifically about residences, where seniors and those with high care needs live, receiving healthcare support. In Saskatchewan, we have both publicly owned long-term care facilities, owned and operated by the SHA, and for-profit care facilities, operated under Extendicare. And as we now know from coming through COVID, there are a lot of problems with for-profit care models. We have heard horror stories from workers and residents in Ontario, BC, and here in Saskatchewan. And COVID has exposed a lot of problems that have been threatening to boil over for decades in both our for-profit facilities and our public ones. This episode, we're going to be talking about those problems and what we can do to fix them. Our guests this week are Diane Ralph, SGEU's first vice president, and Taylor Bendig, research officer, also here at SGEU. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having us today. So, Diane, let's start with you. Before being elected as an officer at SGEU, you worked in long-term care for almost 30 years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So over that time, you've seen many of the ongoing issues in our system and over the years have grown into an advocate for improving long-term care. Why do you care about this issue so much? I care about this issue because I care about the people that I work with. I care about the staff, the residents. I believe the residents should be treated with dignity and respect and um, have the highest standard of care given to them. That's very important to me. I remember when I first started in long-term care, um, we had a little extra time to spend with our residents. We would have fun things like sing songs or maybe just sit and have a visit or let them tell a story. But over the years, the the level of care has changed so much that we don't have time for that anymore. It's very sad. Mm -hmm. Taylor, so you're a researcher who has done a lot of work in the area of long-term care, but you're also maybe kind of an unexpected voice on this issue. You're in your early 30s, and it's not often that we see millennials so outspoken on an issue that primarily affects seniors. So why are you so invested in improving our long-term care system? Well, I would argue that it's it's not an issue that primarily affects just seniors. We are hopefully all going to be old one day. So even if you're my age or younger, you have parents or grandparents that might be in the system or that are going to be in the system in the near future, and you yourself will need senior care at some point. And the system does not improve and change dramatically in a rapid way. So, you know, if you have someone who's going to be in the system, even if you don't have a grandparent or someone there right now, if you want good conditions, the kind of conditions that Diane was mentioning, 
for yourself or for your parents or even for your children eventually, we need to start making changes immediately. That makes a lot of sense. So the issues in our long-term care system are something that we've been talking about for years. But COVID really brought to light some of the challenges faced by workers in long-term care right now. And we've heard a lot of stories in particular about the high number of deaths in Ontario. But here in our province's care homes, we also saw a high number of outbreaks in facilities and of deaths. So Taylor, can you tell us a bit about what happened here in Saskatchewan during the pandemic and about some of the issues long-term care workers were facing even before? Yeah, so we... I think we almost got into a false sense of security here in Saskatchewan in the early days of the pandemic because we saw a lot of outbreaks in other provinces in long-term care that didn't surface here initially. But when they did come, it came with a vengeance. And then we had, I don't have the exact number of deaths. It was quite significant. And in just one private long-term care home, Parkside Extended Care, we had 41 deaths. That was the most significant. But there were multiple deaths in a lot of facilities. And what we saw, I think, was the pandemic multiplying a lot of problems that had been there, sort of ignored for a long time. Primarily short staffing of the personnel you need to take care of your residents and just aging, failing infrastructure. So ventilation systems that weren't up to code or, or where they needed to be, lack of the kind of measures you need to contain areas and effectively quarantine people who are infected and yeah, a lot of things that had been allowed to worsen gradually over time, suddenly the costs of that were very obvious as soon as the pandemic hit. Diane, what's your perspective on the issues facing long-term care workers both before and after the pandemic? Understaffing is one of the biggest challenges in long-term care. The level of care has changed so much over the years, but the level of staffing has not. When I started working in long-term care in 1986, the level of care was level two and three, which means they needed a little bit of help, maybe making sure their medications were taken at the right time, etc. And now it's a high level four, which means that they need pretty well care with everything. Our long-term care facilities used to be senior care. Now we have younger, stronger residents, as well as residents with mental health and other complex behavioral needs. Another issue is the stress and mental health of the staff and the residents. The staff worked hard to make sure they could keep their families and their residents safe. The residents, they had mental health issues as well because they weren't able to see their families. In some of the long-term care facilities, the staff were able to do FaceTime with families. That way, at least they got to see them and speak with them. I would add, too, that the change that Diane has outlined that happened over the years, this is not something that happened accidentally or unintentionally. This is a policy choice that was made. I mentioned Parkside Extend-A-Care, which is the only private long-term care operator in the province. And something I think that was dug up that they would rather not have known is that in 1976, they sent a report to the provincial government advocating for changes to the long-term care system that really were the source of a lot of the problems we see now. They wanted less air exchanges. They wanted the elimination of standards of care or scheduled hours of care. And they wanted to move residents into group rooms, up to four residents per room, instead of keeping them in individual rooms. 
And that in particular was very dangerous during the pandemic because you can't adequately quarantine or do containment measures when you have four people sharing one space. And in particular, one change we saw that, that was in that report and was picked up by the provincial government in 2011 was the elimination of legislated enforceable standards of care, a minimum set of hours, which I believe was two hours at the time. That's still a bit below kind of the consensus among experts and, and workers in the field that you would like to see four hours of care per resident per day, but it was something. And in 2011, that was eliminated and replaced with a set of voluntary guidelines that they are not enforceable and they are not followed by any stretch of the imagination. So between those two things, that sort of downsizing of the amenities in the facility, the private rooms, the error exchanges, that sort of thing, and the elimination of fixed hours of care, we've seen the stage set by government policy for the kind of degradation of, of standards that Diane has described. Diane, have you seen those changes to the minimum standards of care or the elimination of the minimum standards of care play out since 2011? What do you think has changed? Well, staffing levels have definitely changed. When I started you know, working, we had so many residents to so many staff. Now that has increased immensely for resident staff ratio. Could you lay out what two hours of care per day looks like for residents and care workers? I hate to say this, but there's no way that anybody gets two hours of care in a day. Where I work, there's 18 residents for two staff. Night shift, there's one staff. You tend to their basic needs, and that's what you have time for. So that means getting them up in the morning, getting them ready for their meals, it means taking them to the bathroom when they need to go. So it sounds like workers are able to care for some of the basic physical needs of residents, but do they have time to check in on their mental or emotional well-being throughout the day? Is there time to support residents' interests or hobbies, or is everybody just trying to get through the day as quickly as possible? Well, I would say that it would be rare to be able to spend any extra time doing that once you tend to their basic care needs and, you know, getting them to meals and there's not a lot of extra time. Diane, you had mentioned the mental health effects of the pandemic on workers in the long-term care sector. Could you expand on that? Well, there was a lot of worry. I think that was the biggest thing. They were worried that, you know, they would have proper PPE, which I think in most cases was provided and they were worried that, you know, if they went to the grocery store, they could pick up the virus and bring it home to their families or to their vulnerable residents. It was a big worry for them the whole time, trying to keep everybody safe through the pandemic. And that was very stressful. I would add the level of stress they're experiencing now, while it may have abated due to the pandemic, the difficulty of working in a constantly short-staffed field in such a demanding occupation is bad enough as it is. And if you look at the demographics of Saskatchewan, we are about to move an even larger segment of our population to the point where they're going to need long-term care. So it's not going to get easy, any easier on these workers in the immediate future. Uh, it, it's only going to get more difficult unless we recognize the strain that they're under and that they need to be 
brought up to the levels that, that will allow them to cope and do their jobs properly and without undue stress today, and then have the levels raised beyond that, because we need to prepare for a wave of elderly people entering the system in the next decade or two. I want to talk a little bit more about for-profit long-term care. Because the question comes from, in any kind of for-profit healthcare model, where is the profit coming from? And there was a report that came out from the BC Seniors Advocate this year um, that showed in that province, for-profit care facilities failed to deliver 200,000 hours of publicly funded care in 2017 and 2018, while at the same time generating huge profits for their shareholders. So I'd just like to get your take on this. We have this kind of disparity in for-profit healthcare, for-profit long-term care. And I ask because we have seen a move to more for-profit healthcare in the province. There is this in long-term care. We have a private MRI system now, and it seems like the privatization of healthcare is creeping in slowly. And so I'd love to get your take on what that means for the province where Medicare was founded. I know the report you're speaking of, yeah. And it's worth mentioning that that report came from the Office of the Seniors Advocate of British Columbia. So we're not talking about, you know, a left-leaning think tank or any kind of body that might have had an agenda or dubious methodology. This was a government agency charged with the care of seniors that found some rather shocking things about how their private sector long-term care system operated. And chiefly where the money is not going in the private sector is to patient care. So public facilities, publicly owned long-term care facilities, spent an average of 24% more per year caring for their patients. And that's coming from the same level of funding as the private sector would have. Like a facility is, is paid public money based on a formula derived from the number of residents they have to look after. So the pool of money coming in is the same and the public sector directs a lot more of it to looking after their patients. The private sector funnels that off to profits because that is a line item they're interested in, their shareholders are very interested in, that the public sector simply doesn't do. It can spend all of its money looking after residents because that's what it's for. And as I think I'd said earlier, it's it's almost a little bit obscene to think that something as fundamental to a person's dignity as long-term care is a profit sector, for a profit center for companies. You've both pointed out a lot of issues in long-term care, and it's clear that this is a very serious problem that is affecting not only workers in the industry, but seniors, residents, families. So this question is for both of you. What is the top thing that you think needs to change to fix our long-term care system? Well, I can start. <laughs> We've tried for many years to uh, make changes for the betterment in long-term care. And to me, it seems like it's fallen on deaf ears. I think we need to hold the government accountable. We need to get them to listen to our concerns and make positive change in long-term care and health care as well. If the government refuses, then maybe we need a change in government. Definitely. And, and one specific 
action I think we could see from government that would demonstrate uh, a willingness to improve matters would be a shift to entire public ownership of the long-term care system. So in Saskatchewan, we have kind of a fragmented system. We have uh, public special care homes, they call them. They're, they're publicly owned long-term care facilities. There are also long-term care facilities operated by non-profit groups and some by for-profit companies. In fact, we only have one for-profit company in the province, Extendicare, which again are the, is the company that incentivized us to downgrade the standards in our long-term care and that was responsible for the single deadliest outbreak in the province during the pandemic. And in fact, that outbreak wasn't brought under control until the public health authority stepped in and took over control of that facility. I think that's maybe as much evidence as anyone needs that the private sector is not getting the job done in terms of seniors' care and long-term care. And given that we only have one company operating private for-profit long-term care facilities in Saskatchewan with five facilities, and that company has claimed uh, in the media that they don't make a profit operating here, I think Saskatchewan, probably more than any other place in the country, would be a good place to start nationalizing or bringing under public ownership those facilities and eliminating the profit motive in long-term care because I, I think a lot of us will agree it's it's health care. It's, it's your home and your health when you're aged or otherwise incapable of looking after yourself. And that's not something that we as Canadians would normally think should be a profit center. You shouldn't be making money off of people's basic needs like that, especially when the drive to make a profit off of it leads you to cut corners and leads to tragedies like we saw during the pandemic. So when it comes to long-term care, I think there's been a lot of passing the buck in terms of who's responsible for uh, ultimately making the decisions about the care of residents and the conditions for workers in long-term care facilities. And I'm hearing you both refer directly to the government's responsibility in this. So we recently heard an announcement from the provincial government that they're going to be adding 600 long-term care beds in Regina. Do you think that the SAS party is doing enough on this issue? Are those 600 beds going to solve the problem or is there more that needs to be done? I think 600 uh, long-term care beds in Saskatchewan is a wonderful idea. I'm not sure that the urban center is the only place that needs extra long-term care beds as well as specialized care beds. They need them in in rural Saskatchewan as well. They weren't sure if 300 of those beds would be private or public. Let's face it, through the pandemic, we've learned that all long-term care facilities should be publicly run. That really does cover it, but I would add that Again, with the angle of private ownership of these facilities, and as you mentioned, Diane, these need to be distributed throughout the province because we're a very dispersed population here. Um, private companies are not going to build and operate long-term care facilities in small centers. It's not profitable there. The, the population isn't dense enough. So if we want to see a long-term care system that really does serve the people of Saskatchewan where they are, again, we really need to emphasize the importance of public ownership, both for quality and for responsiveness to people's needs in smaller communities. You both identified understaffing as one of the biggest challenges. 
And, you know, unions are out there, workers are out there saying we need more staff, we're overworked, we're underpaid, and the pandemic has really shown that these workers are incredibly essential in caring for a vulnerable population. So if we were to go about in our province fixing understaffing, how would that work? What would we need to do? We would need, uh, above all else, I think, to bring back the legislative minimum standards of care. I'm certainly not the first person to say that, but it's the pivot on which everything else uh, rests. If you don't require certain standards, they just, they won't be met. It will not happen, especially when you're dealing with uh, private businesses that want to make a profit or nonprofits and public sector care homes that simply don't have the resources to do it. The standards we had at, at two hours of care per day were not really sufficient, so the fact that we have abolished those and allowed standards to sink even lower to the point where residents are getting, well, and this is probably something Diane can speak to, but not nearly enough time with staff in a day to, to get a decent standard of living in these facilities, it's quite frightening, really. So I would say legislate standards of care, put it at or near four hours of care per resident per day, and we would start to see things turn around because you could not understaff a facility without it being a violation of the law. I agree with with Taylor about bringing back the standards of care. Right now, I think, you know, getting people up ready for the day, they're allowing 10 to 15 minutes. That That isn't long enough. Our residents deserve better than that. So this is my final question. There are a lot of voices in the province right now who are concerned about this issue. We're hearing stories in the news. We're hearing stories from workers within our own union, from workers in other unions, from ununionized workers. So my question is, how can SGU members and anybody who's concerned about this issue make a difference? What is our next step forward to improve our long-term care system? I would say at, at the start, talk about it. If there was ever a nonpartisan political issue we could all get behind, this is it. As I said earlier, we all have parents, grandparents who may be in the long-term care system or will be in the future. We will probably end up there someday too. It doesn't matter where your politics are. We need a good long-term care system. I would invite people to maybe use that as an option for discussing politics with people who might not otherwise be on the same side of the aisle as them. And then we are going to have elections. We have a federal election. Uh, the provincial election is a little ways away, but it is coming sooner or later. And when a candidate comes to your door, comes to a meeting, otherwise reaches out to you, ask them where they stand on long-term care. We should not have a party be taken seriously in the next election uh, without a strong plan to improve our long-term care system. It has been ignored for so long, and we have had such an intense reminder that it needs to be addressed. Diane, what do you think? Like I said before, I think the government needs to be held accountable. We need them to listen to us. They, we need them to make changes. Changes need to be made now, not years and years and years from now. And if they're not willing to make those changes, then maybe we need to change our government. Well, you've certainly given me and our listeners a lot to think about on the subject of long-term care. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. 
It's clear that Saskatchewan's long-term care system is fraught with challenges, like the lack of minimum care hours and understaffing that affects workers, residents, and indeed all of us as we, or those we love, age. Do you have a story about long-term care you'd like to share with us? Get in touch on Twitter at SGEU or send us a message on Facebook at SGEU.SK. Thank you for joining us for episode two of Pandemic at Work. Next week, we're talking about being locked in with COVID, where we will explore what it was like to work in Saskatchewan's correctional facilities during this pandemic. Every single inmate, there were 30 inmates in that unit, they all tested positive for COVID. So they're all in this unit that I'm walking into. Well, that's a question we asked the government. What is the rationale reason not to comply with their recommendations of the Saskatchewan Health Authority? This has been an SGEU podcast. The Saskatchewan Government and General Employees Union represents 20,000 members across the province in six sectors and is affiliated with the National Union of Public and General Employees, the Saskatchewan Federation of Labour, and the Canadian Labour Congress. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at sgeu.org.